T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Angel Cologne, this is Angel, is with us this morning. Angel also just underwent additional medical treatment, so... We so appreciate that you're here, Angel, and we understand if at any point you need to leave, we will make that happen. So just just let us know. Um, We have a number of people that we're going to hear from today. Before we begin anything, I know that everyone wants to know some statistics on patients and patient conditions. So I'm going to bring up Dr. Mike Cheatham, who can provide that information. And we're watching doctors take their place at the table to give us this update from the Orlando Regional Medical Center. We've been uh, looking at the patients that are still in the hospital. It's a very fluid situation, as I think you can understand. So this is this update literally as of moments ago. Of the original 44 patients that were brought to Orlando Regional Medical Center, uh, the Level 1 Trauma Center here in Central Florida, We still have 27 patients that are admitted in the hospital. Of these, uh, six patients are in the intensive care unit and 21 patients uh, are on the floor. Of these patients, we have six patients remaining in the hospital that are critically ill. We have five that are in guarded condition and we have 16 patients that we would consider to be stable. No patients have succumbed to their injuries since the initial nine patients who came to us at the time of the shooting. All of the patients since arrival to the hospital are still with us. They are steadily improving. There were a number of victims that left the scene of the nightclub. They were trying to get away from the shooting. Several of those patients have subsequently presented to our hospitals. Yesterday, we saw two patients that presented to one of our sister hospitals, Doctors Hospital, and there was another patient that presented, I understand, this morning to another of our sister hospitals, Health Central Hospital. We anticipate that we may see other victims uh, come into uh, the hospitals over the next few days as they identify injuries uh, that they may have sustained. Patients continue to go to the operating room for their injuries. Uh, In addition to uh, the 28 cases that we did the initial day of the response, yesterday we completed eight further operations and we have another eight operations that are scheduled for today on the victims of this event. Can. So over the last couple of, of days, you may have seen or you may have spoken to a number of our surgeons about their experiences that early morning. And if you haven't heard them say it, uh, they all want you to know that they do not work in isolation, that it takes a team. 
So before I introduce them, I want to recognize some other very important members of the team. Um, we have, and I know it's tight, so raise your hands as you, as you, as you, uh, as I call your name. We have several emergency and uh, trauma nurses with us today. Um, uh, Stephanie Brown. I mean Stephanie Urban. I'm sorry. Okay. Stephanie. Okay. Um, uh, let's see. Jessica Friel. Jim Zolnowski. As we listen to the introduction of staff at the hospital, different people who've been uh, working with patients there. The headline so far is at Orlando Regional Medical Center, a level one trauma center. They still have 27 patients admitted in the hospital, six in intensive care. 21 Michelle patients, Fassler. they said, are on the floor. Six critically okay. ill, five um, in what they're calling Megan, guarded condition, no, and no 16 no, stable. Okay, no they blade. also said Sorry that no patients that. have succumbed um, to their injuries since they Alicia came to this hospital. However, a number of operations are scheduled today. Eight today, they said. Okay. Eight <laughs> operations <laughs> yesterday. So that um, tells you that the uh, work the doctors and surgeons continue um, to do at Orlando Regional is is very serious and ongoing. Sandy is the... Anesthesiologist who was Again, on they're call. running through a list of people who have treated uh, patients. We anticipate to hear Charles more Hunter. doctors and more surgeons oh, speak okay. very soon. Dr. We also Zanowski see at this table in the front of the room where the hospital's holding this news conference, uh, Angel Cologne, who they said just Sorry. underwent Dr. additional Tim medical Bullard treatment. We don't have a lot of information uh, about him yet, but okay. uh, he's very obviously um, a patient. He's wearing a yellow tag around his wrist, sitting in a wheelchair. It looks like relatives are with him. Uh, a woman has her hand on his shoulder right now, uh, comforting him as he looks down uh, very solemnly uh, waiting for his opportunity to speak at this news conference and certainly everyone who's listening to what's happening at the hospital. Looks forward to hearing uh, from James Mr. Colon uh, as well as he shares his uh, okay. horrific memories Dr. from Pye, that Dr. night. Thomas Someone's whispering Smith. in his ear right now. A little smile from him Dr. that's encouraging to see. Actually, this uh, is Mona, Angel Colon, a survivor. Out today. I really appreciate it. Um, um I want to thank you guys for coming out today. I really appreciate um, all the love I've gotten in these past three days that I've been here. Um, at first, I was a bit hesitant, you know, to come up here because it's still fresh to me. This all this has happened, but um, I would love to give my story out so everyone can know of what is going on now in this community and um, how some people are just so heartless and um, how we're treated. Uh, but on Sunday morning, early morning, um, we were just having a great time. We're all there, you know, having a drink. Uh, it was a shortly after uh, two. We're saying our goodbyes. Um, I'm hugging everyone. It was a great night. No drama, just smiles, just laughter. And um, I was talking to the last girl I was talking to, and out of nowhere, I, we just hear a big shotgun. We just, we stop what we're doing, and then it just keeps going. Um, that happened, and uh, we just grabbed each other. We started running, and unfortunately, I was uh, shot about three times in my leg, so I had fallen down. Um, I tried to get back up, but um, 
everyone started uh, running everywhere. I got trampled over, and um, I uh, shattered and broke my bones on my left leg. So by this time, I, I couldn't walk at all. Uh, all I could do was just lay down there while everyone was just running on top of me, trying to get to where they had to be. And um, all I could hear was the shotgun, one after another, and people screaming, people yelling for help. Um, by this time, this man, um, he goes into the other room, and I can just hear more shotguns going on. I thought I was a little safe at this time because, you know, it's giving everyone time to tackle him down or get him down. But unfortunately, I hear him come back and he's shooting everyone that's already dead on the floor, making sure they're dead. Um, I'm, I was able to peek over and I can just see him shooting at everyone. And I can hear the, sh uh, the shotguns closer and I look over and he shoots the girl next to me. And I'm just there laying down, I'm thinking, I'm next, I'm dead. So I don't know how, but by the glory of God, he shoots towards my head, but it hits my hand. And then he shoots me again and it hits uh, the side of my hip. Um, I had no reaction, I was just prepared to just stay there laying down so he won't know that I'm alive. And he's just doing this for another five, 10 minutes. He's just shooting all over the place. Um, by this time, he goes up to the front and I think that's when he's battling against the cops. I just hear shotguns going all over the place. And I'm looking up and some cops, which I wish I can remember his face or his name because I'm, to this day, I'm grateful for him. He looks at me, he makes sure that, that I'm alive. And he grabs my hand and he's like, this is the only way that I can take you out. I'm like, please carry me because I'm in pain right now. I couldn't walk or anything. So he, uh, he starts to drag me out across the street to the Wendy's. And I'm grateful for him, but the floor is just covered in glass. So he's dragging me out while I'm just getting cut. My behind, my back, my legs. And I don't feel pain, but I just feel all this blood on me from myself, from my other people. And he just drops me off across the street. And I look over and there's just bodies everywhere. We're all in pain. And we, uh, we were able to get to the ambulance. They brought us over here. And the way that you guys have taken care of us in this hospital is amazing. If it wasn't for you guys, I definitely would not be here. Every morning, in the middle of the night, the afternoon, you guys are always there. And I really appreciate that. And uh, I would love you guys forever for doing that for me. Okay. Angel, can you want to say something in Spanish? Yeah. Um, very, very emotional words from Angel Colon, a survivor of the Pulse nightclub shooting. He's now giving his remarks in Spanish. Let's go back now to the Orlando Regional Medical Center where doctors are describing their work after the shooting. Oh, sorry, Gary Parrish. And again, I am the medical director of the emergency department here at ORMC. 
Um, if you don't know, our emergency department here is a very busy, um, active, 75-bed um, academic center where we train emergency medicine residents as we train trauma and other residents. Um, I did happen to be working clinically in the emergency department uh, Saturday night, overnight, Sunday morning. I was uh, scheduled actually to leave at uh, 3 o'clock in the morning. Uh, around 2 o'clock or so, uh, we got word that there were some shootings. Now, we have a very busy trauma service, so getting shootings is not anything terribly unusual, uh, but we didn't know quite what was about to hit us. So about 2 o'clock or so, we uh, got notice of the, uh, the uh, uh, patients coming in and brought those in. Um, we work in teams in the emergency department. Um, Dr. Bondani was the other attending physician who was working with me in the emergency department that night, who was actually stationed in the trauma bay. Um, of course, due to the extent of the injuries here, um, we all uh, uh, took care of these patients. But uh, I want Dr. Bondani to describe a little bit because she was there actually uh, before I got there uh, initially. Catherine uh, Bondani, K A T H R Y N. B-O-N-D-A-N-I. So, like Gary said, we got essentially a call saying that we had some gunshot wounds coming in. Um, we didn't know exactly how many we were going to get. Um, Dr. Stone and I, the senior resident on, went to the trauma bay to get ready for the patients to start coming in. And our first patient was relatively stable, awake and talking to us, and we thought maybe they're all gonna be like this and that would be great. And then we quickly got two or three more that were very critical in nature. Um, several of our other senior residents came into the trauma bay as well as Dr. Parrish um, to start helping us triage the patients. The trauma team, Dr. Smith and his awesome residents came in and started helping us kind of figure out who was sick, who was the sickest and what we needed to do we quickly got about five patients, and that was a lot for us, and we thought maybe that was gonna be it, and then they started lining up in the hallway. They weren't being brought in by ambulances. There was no paramedics coming in and giving us report and dropping them off. They were being dropped off in truckloads and in ambulance loads where our amazing nurses and techs were putting them on stretchers and rolling them into us and telling us that another patient's here, another patient's here, another patient's here, and quickly our trauma bay became full to capacity and we had to move people out. So Dr. Smith and Dr. Parrish and I started using the residents and quickly figuring out who was the sickest and who could move out of the trauma bay to make room for somebody else so that we could triage and treat everybody. And in a matter of 30 minutes, I think we had multiple surgeons coming in the door to help us out. I saw dozens of nurses who I knew were not on that night who showed up. I saw texts coming from everywhere. We had x-ray in there, we had blood in there, we had everybody in there trying to figure out who was sick and, and who wasn't. And we just started one by one moving through and, and trying to figure out who needed to go where. And just going one by one and figuring them out. And I think that Dr. Smith was really the kind of team leader who helped us kind of triage and move from patient to patient. 
Let me just uh, make a couple of comments. We in our area, as in many metropolitan areas, have a, a very advanced EMS system. And fortunately, they give us advance notice for patients that are coming in. So that helps greatly in preparing our, our personnel and our resources. The difficulty in this case was that there was really no advance notice at all uh, because of the proximity. Now, that was great for the patients, them being close, but it made it very difficult for the medical staff and the nursing staff to take care of these patients because they essentially were showing up without any uh, notification at all, and we really didn't know what their injuries were until they were brought into the trauma bay. We have a fantastic trauma service. We have a very collaborative and wonderful relationship with our trauma surgeons. Uh, the trauma surgeons that were here uh, uh, called in backup quickly, and they arrived unbelievably fast. So that was really uh, fantastic uh, as, the, as the emergency physician. And you're listening to doctors at the Orlando Regional Medical Center describe the night of the shooting, uh, early Sunday morning actually, how overwhelmed they were in the trauma centers. The medical director said we didn't know quite what was about to hit us. And the doctors continue speaking at Orlando Regional Medical Center. call that night. I got a call from the emergency department resident. Um, uh, she called me on my cell phone, and uh, that's kind of unusual, and said that there's multiple gunshot wounds coming, and I, I went down to the trauma bay, and just as uh, Kate said, um, the patients just started coming. One came, then another came, then another came, and um, the first patient, as she said, was, was, was uh, shot and needed to go to the operating room, but um, had stable vital signs. The next, pa next patient... Um, was not as lucky, and I quickly realized that I needed to call backup. I called uh, Dr. Ibrahim, was the backup trauma surgeon that night. I called him, uh, and then more patients continued to come. I called Dr. Cheatham, uh, and then uh, as once they got there, um, the flow did not stop, and so I began to call um, my other partners, Dr. Haverin. Dr. Levy actually um, called me and um, he was on call for pediatric surgery at Arnold Palmer Hospital and uh, offered to help. I said, please come, please come, we need your help. Uh, I then got a hold of, of Dr. Luby uh, and then started calling the residents. Um, uh, you know, you can imagine calling someone at 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning uh, when you get a phone call from work. You know, some people don't have their phones on, some people have them, you know, in, in the kitchen. Um, uh, but I think almost every person that I called answered the phone. Um, I said, this is not a drill. This is not a joke. We have 20 to uh, plus gunshot wounds coming in. Uh, I need you here as fast as I can. And, and every time the answer that I got was, I'll be right there. Um, after that, after making those phone calls, again, quickly they arrived to the emergency department. And I was on the phone with the operating room, Dr. Mukherjee. Uh, quickly flexed up. We usually run about two ORs at night, if we, uh, but we got in personnel, nurses, uh, CRNAs, staff from all over the uh, organization uh, quickly to get these patients in the operating room. Um, I want to say that uh, looking out here today, as crowded as this is, um, this is about the level of crowdedness that it felt in the emergency department that night. Uh, add in um, people in pain, 
people worrying about their loved ones, people not knowing where their loved ones are, and we're trying to help them all. Um, quickly, we got a couple patients up to the operating room. Um, again, our first patient, um, he needed to go to the operating room, but he was stable. Um, there were quickly thereafter probably four to five patients that came in that we were unable to save. And then there were several that came in and that needed operation almost immediately, and they got taken up. Uh, and uh, I believe Dr. Luby stayed up in the operating room. Dr. Havern was up in the operating room, and they would just operate. And, say, and as soon as their room was done, they would move the patient to the intensive care unit and send me another one. And I would walk around the emergency department and try to determine, just by looking at their vital signs, their wound pattern, and how awake they were, where they needed to go. And I tried to keep everybody that needed to go to the operating room in the trauma bay. If someone was brought in from the emergency, from the street um, into the trauma bay, they were quickly assessed. If they did not have immediate life-threatening injuries, they were moved elsewhere in the emergency department and cared for by our colleagues in critical care medicine. We had EMTs that would drop a patient off that would start putting in lines in other patients. We had um, you know, environmental services would would have uh, the bay the bay where patients would go clean in about 30 to 45 seconds, um, with sharp objects, with bloody towels, with with all kinds of stuff done. Everybody was done it safely. Um, I, I just cannot say enough about how uh, much we increased to the to increased our resources to the level of need you know, within a very short period of time. Um, after we got that initial wave, about probably 20 to 22 patients um, stabilized or sent to the operating room, we had kind of, if you would call it a lull, uh, while the shooter was barricaded inside. Um, at this point, um, we had used basically everything in the emergency department and our um, suppliers got stuff from Central Supply, brought stuff over from Arnold Palmer Hospital, from Winnie Palmer Hospital, such that we didn't need for anything. We had used it all, but we had it replaced basically immediately. Um, uh, then we got word from OPD that there would be another 20 to 25 patients uh, continuing to come. And that's when the second wave started to come, and it was basically a repeat of the first. We had gotten some of those patients out of the operating room to the intensive care unit, and we just kind of started doing it all over again, putting the patients that needed to go to the operating room in the trauma bay uh, or moving people that did not out to the other parts of the emergency department. And I just can't thank my, my partners, my colleagues, uh, my colleagues in nursing, respiratory therapy, um, environmental services, the uh, support staff, um, did a great job. I think it is very fortunate that this happened two blocks away, um, and it's very fortunate that we have the team to pull together like we do. Doctors at the Orlando Regional Medical Center talking about what they witnessed the night of the Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando and answering questions as well. Medical director here at Orlando Health. Um, so upon entering the trauma bay, as Dr. Smith described, uh, it was somewhat of a, what you would think of a war scene. The trauma bay was very full. We 
had patients in every corner. Um, we saw the full gamut of wounds from wounds to the extremities, uh, wounds to the chest, wounds to the abdomen and, and pelvis area, um, as if they were shot from below, which is what has been described to me by some of the uh, EMS people. Um, it varied in, in, in the size of the wounds from small caliber wounds to a very large caliber wound, uh, which the larger ones left a significant amount of tissue destruction, which is something that we're not as used to seeing, uh, something more from like a, a rifle or something you would expect with that. And as you would expect, with the large soft tissue wounds, you also had large wounds inside cavities, whether it be the chest or the abdomen. Um, so we had, again, the full gamut. Uh, but again, we had the full team come together. Uh, we had all kinds of nursing, uh, respiratory therapists, everybody come together. The orthopedic surgery uh, team was even very, very helpful. Even in the emergency department, I had orthopedic residents come with me to help triage patients, removing tourniquets, things like that. Uh, so, again, we mentioned you know, ED, this general surgery, but the ortho team was also instrumental in that as well. Um, uh, then they would take the patients that were maybe not as emergent after we had taken care of the critical ones and uh, take care of the orthopedic injuries, uh, as you've heard uh, Mr. Colon talk about with his. Um, so, again, the full gamut um, of injuries. Doctors at the Orlando Regional Medical Center continue to uh, describe a pretty overwhelming scene. Patients being dropped off by the truckload, by the ambulance load. They're describing a trauma bay that was quickly at capacity, uh, a hospital that uh, seemed Dr. like it was Sandy in a war zone, uh, as they describe what they had to do that night. My colleague, Dr. Mark Nakajima, uh, anesthesiologist that was on call with me that morning, I'd like to thank all the nurse anesthetists, all the operating room staff, the nurses, and the techs. Uh, as was described earlier, uh, the, the situation rapidly escalated from the first victim that came up. I'd like to uh, personally thank uh, the calm, heroic de demeanor and the professionalism that was exhibited by everyone that morning. I appreciated my surgical colleagues. Uh, we rapidly opened up the operating rooms uh, in the face of potentially life-threatening, horrific injuries. I appreciate the calm demeanor and how things were handled and how it was triaged. We literally went from operating room to operating room, so much so we're, I believe we're on our 13th uh, procedure approximately at six in the morning. Uh, I just want to just express my thanks and gratitude for what was exhibited in the operating room from every member that was there that morning. The cases continued throughout the whole day. There was never any downtime. We rapidly opened up as many operating rooms that was needed. I appreciated all the responders from the nurses, from our nurse anesthetists that came in that morning. It wasn't a question of coming. They came as soon as they could. They were notified, and I thank, I thank them for that. Thank you. Um, Dr. Havren, you told a compelling story the other day about your experience going from one OR to the next OR. Can you, can you explain that today? Um, I'm uh, William Havron. I'm the General Surgery Program Director here and uh, one of the trauma surgeons. Um, as uh, Dr. Smith alluded to, I got a phone call and uh, immediately came into the hospital um, and was asked to proceed directly to the operating room. and. 
Um, you know, as, as everybody said here, <clears throat> with a busy level one trauma center, we're used to seeing gunshot wounds. We're used to seeing a, a multitude of injuries each and every night. But this was uh, somewhat of a surreal experience. Um, uh, you know, we um, um, were just given patient after patient after patient. <clears throat> the OR would, would fill with a patient. We would uh, proceed with operative intervention, whatever was needed, and then would literally walk from that operating room to another operating room and do it again and again. Um, I, as everybody's already spoken, um, I can't say enough about how great um, this institution was. The resources, everything that was needed was immediately available. Um, everybody flexed up and made sure that um, operating rooms were available, ICU beds were available, step-down beds were available, nurses were here, techs were here, every service worked together, and uh, that is the most instrumental thing in taking care of patients in this situation. Second, I would say I not be more proud of this team, um, especially my, uh, our surgical residents. Um, they work very hard as it is, um, lots of demands put upon them uh, to answer the call at 3.30 in the morning, some of which were on vacation, uh, some of which were you know, tired and, and had already been working all week, uh, to come in on a moment's notice uh, to help take care of folks in need, I think speaks volumes of them, and I couldn't be prouder. Dr. Cheatham, do you have any final words before we open it up for Q&A? Yeah, I, I, you know, disasters are something that we plan for. Uh, all trauma centers uh, around the world do this. Uh, you can never prepare adequately uh, for an event such as this. Uh, but we have spent quite a bit of time over the years uh, working with uh, all of our colleagues in all of the departments. Uh, to have a plan of how we would address this. And we have a, a tiered approach based on the number of victims that we anticipate. Uh, this was the largest uh, disaster that we probably could have imagined. Um, and uh, we went ahead and we implemented the plan that we have designed over the years uh, and perfected through practice. Um, and I think it worked. Uh, I think that the fact, uh, as Gary Parrish already alluded to, that uh, the victims were literally uh, three or four blocks away made a tremendous difference in their outcome. Uh, we know that getting to a trauma center uh, improves lives, improves survival. Uh, and they were able to get here, uh, many of them within minutes. Uh, the second wave of victims uh, was obviously delayed because it was an active shooter situation and the police were trying to get the victims out of the building. Uh, but as soon as they could rescue them, again, they were immediately brought to us by whatever uh, transportation uh, was available. Uh, the reason that we were never at want for anything uh, is because of the support from our entire team. Uh, you know, you can think about the medical side of things. Uh, you think about doctors and nurses and respiratory therapists saving lives. 
but there, is, there are so many other parts of the team uh, that uh, are also there to save those patients' lives. And so while uh, we as the surgeons uh, were in the operating room with our anesthesia colleagues or working with our emergency medicine colleagues, uh, the nursing staff, the respiratory therapy staff, et cetera, in the emergency department or operating room, there was uh, a much larger team uh, of administrators, uh, of our support per, uh, personnel uh, that were behind the scenes constantly communicating with us to know what we needed. So uh, as Dr. Smith mentioned, when we had literally exhausted the supplies that were in the emergency room, I was literally able to get that information from him uh, turn to our colleagues in logistics, and literally within minutes, uh, more supplies were being brought to the scene. So there was never a time that we were without anything uh, that we needed. Uh, when I went to Dr. Mukherjee uh, early in the course of this, uh, as we were beginning to recognize the magnitude of it, we spoke in the operating room, and you know, my hat is off to Sandy and his team. They rapidly escalated from two operating rooms to six operating rooms literally within uh, about 30 to 60 minutes. Uh, I, I doubt that anybody could have done it faster, and I really, uh, we need to commend them for that. Uh, the entire team worked together, uh, and uh, I think uh, that is why we've uh, uh, had the, the outcomes that we have with these victims. Uh, we're pleased that uh, we've not had anybody succumb to their injuries as yet. Uh, I have to caution everyone that there are six people in the hospital right now from this event that remain critically ill. Uh, and as I said the first day, um, I, I would be surprised if we do not see the death toll rise uh, from this. We're doing everything that we possibly can uh, to pull them through this, but they are critically ill as a result of their, of their injuries. I know that those patients and their families uh, would uh, covet your prayers. Uh, and your thoughts for their rapid recovery. That's Dr. Michael Cheatham, a trauma surgeon at the Orlando Regional Medical Center, talking about early Sunday morning when the trauma center was overwhelmed with patients coming in from the Pulse nightclub shooting. Six still are critically ill, but as of now, as, after 44 patients originally came to that hospital, they said none have succumbed to their injuries. I'm Scott Goldberg. You're listening to live coverage from ABC News. And now let's go back to Orlando Regional Medical Center, where one of the survivors, Angel Cologne, is answering questions. I still can't walk, but as long as I have a smile on my face and I have that love that I feel, I'm okay. Can you tell us who you're with? Dr. Jennifer Ashton, ABC. Congratulations to your whole medical center staff. Phenomenal. You mentioned the surgical residents. Could you tell me a little bit in general how many residents accompanied and operated each attending and were cardiothoracic surgeons calling for the chest wound? Um, so. We have five uh, categorical residents a year, so um, that's five people who are here with us for five years, plus a uh, additional six uh, interns uh, who are here for one year. Uh, numerous residents were called in. Um, I can't tell you. I know that I had um, one resident with me through every one of my six cases, and that resident uh, alternated. I mean, I had. I went from chief residents to fourth-year residents uh, and, and a third-year resident in one case, and uh, in addition, one of our critical care fellows. 
Um, as far as uh, cardiothoracics, um, you know, we, it, um, specialists were called in when the need was there. Um, and I think that uh, depended on uh, the, the variability of what cases were involved. I'd, um, we had uh, vascular involved. I don't believe that any cardiothoracic services were required. Congratulations to all the nurses who participated. Dr. Cheatham, could you talk a little bit about the expertise of the trauma nurses, the surgeons, and the emergency room nurses in this case? So um, I will tell you we have the best nurses in the world. Uh, there is no question in my mind. Uh, you know, if, if you think that uh, doctors are important, uh, keep in mind uh, that, and for those of you that have been patients, you know this, uh, doctors come by for perhaps 15, 20 minutes a day. You have a nurse for 24 hours. So the nurses uh, are the true caregivers. They are the ones that are carrying out the physician's orders. Uh, the nurses did a phenomenal job. We had nurses coming to us from our, uh, we have a, a pediatric hospital and a women's hospital on our campus. Uh, so the nurses from those two hospitals were coming over to help. We had nurses from our ICU that came down uh, to the trauma bay again to help. Uh, we were never without uh, the need for manpower, and uh, the nurses did a phenomenal job. Our respiratory therapists did a phenomenal job. We have pharmacists that are in our trauma bay with us. Everyone came together and met the patient's need. You're listening to doctors at the Orlando Regional Medical Center take questions from reporters in the crowd as they continue describing the events of early Sunday morning when they were overwhelmed with patients after the Pulse nightclub shooting. I'm Scott Goldberg. This is live coverage from ABC News. And again, there are uh, there's some shuffling in the room, uh, a very crowded room at Orlando Regional Medical Center. A nurse is uh, is stepping up to the microphone to answer questions from reporters. Noble, N O B L E T. Um, I think Angel. I think you were my second patient because I got the call at like. 3 a.m. and I came right in and um, he was very brave and I just remember his name was Angel and we have a medic who also his name is Angel so and he was also helping out with you I don't know if you remember him and also Vicky so uh, it was a very chaotic night but um, uh, all of us as a team worked together and um, we were really able to do a very good job so they have been, I've been getting calls and messages all day, every day. Um, they're very concerned about me, but I've let them know that this hospital, uh, you guys have all been taking care of me very well. And have you been healing? Have you been hearing it from folks back home? How much Yes, a lot. Can any of your family members say it? Yeah, I'd like to ask Dr. Parrish a question. Dr. Parrish, if you could, sir, I know that you have to have mass casualty drills. 
Um, how does that differ from reality when you have pickup trucks load loads of patients coming in with the frequency they were coming in? So how did your mask actually drill equate to reality? It's it's uh, as Dr. Cheatham said, it is something that we practice frequently. We we do this a lot, and when we uh, plan for and hope not to get, um, but but do spend a lot of time planning for the infrastructure, what, what we have to do if we have these patients. Uh, but it is different. Um, it's, it's a lot different. When you have folks that are acting like they're ill or have moulages on, is a lot different than the real patient coming through the door with large injuries. You still have a great need for blood. I mean, because people are still lighting up the building. I'm sure there is a need for blood. I'm just wondering if you've had the chance yet to process actually what happened during you can comprehend how someone could do something like this. This person has to be heartless, heartless, ruthless. It's I don't know how you could do something like this. Just seeing all these bodies everywhere, and this person is just enjoying doing this. It doesn't. There's no way. I don't know how. How do you know he was enjoying it? I'm. I've heard from others that he was laughing in other rooms. I heard that he was calm, just do, doing his thing. Like sure, sure this is Angel Cologne speaking. Uh, He's a survivor of the Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando at this news conference. You're, you're hearing uh, uh, what sounds like chaos as reporters in the room ask questions, uh, not just of Angel Cologne, a survivor, but this team of doctors, of surgeons who have come to talk about the night. They were just overwhelming. Patients were getting dropped off by the truckload in the ambulance room, uh, ambulance load quickly filling the trauma center at Orlando Regional. And uh, yeah, it's been quite a story. Once uh, again, here is uh, Dr. Joseph Ibrahim answering so questions from the reporters. There was a variety the of things. Uh, you could tell small, we had both small caliber and large caliber, and you could tell proximity based on the amount of injury. We had some that had massive soft tissue loss that we assume, after talking with the detectives, they were more proc uh, in close proximity as opposed to some that were running away that maybe the bullet uh, had less tissue. We did see through and through injuries. Uh, that we had to make it somewhat difficult. You have to determine the course. Um, the small caliber ones can kind of bounce around inside cavities and cause multiple injuries, which we've seen that as well. So when you say small caliber and large caliber, that means he was using both the rifle and the handgun, you It believe? would seem so, yes, sir. Right here, right here. Yeah. Uh, first of all, congratulations to all of you. Uh, Manita Rosa with America TV in Miami. Uh, Dr. Uh, Smith, I guess. Um, the fact that you have 44 patients that are alive today and with caution, as the doctor said, uh, on a personal note, how does that make you feel? Y Ángel, unas palabritas en español referente a por qué decidiste Listen to a reporter uh, ask questions in English and Spanish of the doctors, the trauma surgeons at Orlando Regional Medical Center. Uh, how did it feel to know that all the patients who came in there, uh, at least as of now, have survived their wounds? And I said this yesterday, you know, with all of the stuff that the victims, the families, uh, the loved ones have, have been through and all of that our team members have been through, I can say that I am extremely proud of EMS, nursing, respiratory therapists, the doctors, all of the support staff, and our entire community. Um, it was singularly the worst day of my career and the best day of my career. And I would think that this is probably the same for every person you see standing up here. I have, 
And now the microphone once again back in front of Angel Colon, a survivor. He's answering a question in Spanish, obviously bilingual, but you heard uh, before that a doctor describe what he saw at Orlando Regional Medical Center in the aftermath of the Pulse shooting as singularly the worst day of my career and the best day of my career. They said that 44 patients came to that hospital, a level one trauma center, in the hours after the Pulse nightclub shooting. The fact that it is just a couple of blocks away from the nightclub, they say, uh, made a very important difference. It helped them do their jobs because they were able to treat these very serious wounds so quickly. Uh, still 27 patients are at that hospital, six, they said, in intensive care. And though no patients had succumbed to their injuries since they came to the hospital, the doctors said it is still possible the death toll could go up because of those patients who are in critical condition. And still, Angel Cologne is answering a question in Spanish. Uh, and we hear reporters in the room continuing to ask questions of the doctors uh, assembled there. Uh, a big group of doctors in a very crowded room taking questions at Orlando Regional Medical Center. Team member grief counseling, I believe every two hours, um, I went to it last night and heard a lot of stories from from some of the, the team members that were there that night, some of the team members that came in um, uh, that later, you know, to kind of take over uh, Sunday afternoon. Um, I, I tried to, sh I shared with them how I was feeling. Um, this I was on call again last night and I was walking out of the hospital um, and, and walking out, I saw team members walking into work crying. And I just, I just couldn't express how, it's hard to describe how, how you feel, but I know how they feel. They know how we feel. And, um, you know, when, when the task comes to hand, you, you just do what needs to be done. Wait, Kina, can I say something real quick first on that too? Onto your note about uh, debriefing and things. We've also been in contact with uh, programs in Boston who've been through similar situations. They actually reached out to us. The world response to this has been amazing. Um, people from Oklahoma who had gone through the Oklahoma City bombings have reached out saying what they went through, what they felt was advantageous to team members who needed some sort of debriefing, counseling and some of the things that helped them, and we thank them for that. Uh, so that is some of the things we've implemented as well. Angel, the world's watching. What do you want the world to know about Orlando? The question again uh, going to Angel Cologne, who survived Orlando, the Pulse the nightclub shooting in Orlando. I want the world to know that our community is, we are together. We are helping each other. We're getting through this together. Um, I've seen so much love from everyone. Uh, not to only me, but to the other victims, to the families, and we really have each other each other's backs in these situations that happen. It is concerning to hear you say you wouldn't be surprised if the death toll rises. Mm -hmm. Of the six who are still critical in ICU, can you give a sense? of how severe these injuries are. are. Are you concerned there may be one or more people who won't walk out of here if they do get better? This is Dr. Michael Cheatham, a trauma surgeon. Exactly right. 
um, of the six uh, patients that are still in the ICU, and um, we were making rounds on them earlier this morning, uh, many of them are, are recovering. They remain critically ill. Uh, there are uh, one or two of those six that uh, I would consider to be profoundly ill. Uh, I think the big question is uh, what their long-term uh, outcome will be uh, once uh, we get them out of the hospital. Uh, I think they may well survive. In fact, I suspect that they will survive, but my concern is that they will have a lasting impact from this with regard to their functionality. Is there a paralysis issue? Uh, it is not a paralysis issue, no. Angel, Nicole and Salada, WSVN 7 News in Miami. Have you ever seen this man there before? And how do you feel about reports that he's been there uh, among folks there at, at Pulse and danced and drank with you guys? I have not seen him before, but it's, it's it scares me. Knowing that someone like this was constantly in that club. Like, how do I know he's not, he hasn't been into all the other LGBT places that we've been in? scares me a lot, and I just think now security just has to be there at all times, uh, definitely. When you leave here, will you feel safe, and can you also identify some of the folks who are here with you? Okay. Um, as of now, I really don't want to step foot back into those places for a little bit, you know, just for my sane, because it, it'll bring back memories that I have. Um, and then these are my brothers and sisters behind me. Down at the end of the yeah, table. Uh, Angel and, and the doctors who had to treat these terrible wounds, Krishna Channel 4 News in the UK. What is your message to the political leaders who are now engaged in an argument over whether restricting guns would help prevent these sorts of things happening? I really do think in order to have a gun, you have to have a reason. I don't think you should just have a gun just to have a gun. I mean, I believe in protecting yourself and all that, but if it's that easy to just bring two guns, huge guns like that, into this place that easy, there's just, there's something wrong. This is Angel Cologne, a survivor of the nightclub shooting in Orlando, answering questions from reporters. No, I was, uh, uh, when you first shot me, I was facing the other direction, and I just fell face forward, so I never saw him. I'm, I'm originally from Boston, uh, from Puerto Rico, though, but I live here now, yeah. I live uh, in Pocani, actually, right now, yeah. Right here in the dark blue shirt? You have a question? Oh, yes. Yeah, I'm sorry. Angelina Smell, por favor. Este incidente va a cambiar. This is a reporter asking Angel Colon a question in Spanish. He's a survivor of the Pulse shooting. He's been describing uh, that night in really uh, emotional detail. Also, giving his heartfelt thanks to the staff at Orlando Regional Medical Center where this news conference is being held, saying, I love you guys. And also, in general, in the wake of uh, the worst mass shooting in U.S. history, he said, Angel Colon, a survivor, said, I've seen so much love from everyone. And reporters are continuing to ask questions uh, of Angel Cologne and this team of doctors at Orlando Regional Medical Center. A very packed room. It's hectic at times. Lots of people asking questions directed to different people. They're actually, they don't have enough microphones to go around. They've been passing microphones to each other so different doctors can 
talk about what one called singularly the worst day of my career and the best day of my career as that trauma center was overwhelmed. Uh, you know, I, I think that it's, uh, it's almost impossible to, to point to one specific event or one specific patient interaction, right? I mean, um, the whole situation is difficult. Um, as <clears throat> Chad alluded to, uh, when something like this happens, you, you've trained for it, you've practiced it, and, and you just kind of get in a mode of doing what needs to be done. Um, you know, when, when 44 people show up shot and are sick and bleeding to death, they're all close calls. I mean, it's, you know, patients were taken emergently to the operating room. That's a close call. If they hadn't been three blocks from the hospital, they might not have made it to a hospital. Um, you know, I think that when you look at, at how the whole system functioned, um, it, it made it possible for these people to have the outcomes that they have. Speaking to other disaster-like situations, um, I prior to this, I was at the University of Oklahoma, and we dealt with obviously severe weather issues, um, had the uh, Oklahoma City uh, Thunder um, playoff shooting that was there that, that I was a part of, but nothing nothing really compares to, to this. And you weren't there for this No. What is that for a lot of the prisoners? Were they the So that is a question that uh, has come up. Uh, I think what we've identified, uh, as I mentioned yesterday, is that there were a number of victims that sustained gunshot wounds to the head. Those victims uh, were unable to get out of the club, uh, and so unfortunately they appear to have passed away in the club. We did get one uh, patient here uh, that did sustain a gunshot wound to the head, and he is currently uh, in the intensive care unit. Um, as Dr. Havron alluded to, um, you know, we uh, have encountered uh, environmental disasters in the past, the, the hurricanes that, for those of you in this area, lived through about 10 years ago. Those were instrumental in helping us to refine our disaster plan. I'm sorry? Back, back uh, in 2004. Um, now, to, to answer your other question, uh, that has also come up. Uh, none of us uh, have had military experience. Uh, but what I can tell you is that the military surgeon community and the civilian surgeon community, a from a, a trauma standpoint, are very close. Uh, we learn from each other. Many of the techniques that we used on these patients uh, have been uh, things that have come out of battlefield medicine, just as our uh, military surgeons learn from what we encounter uh, in the civilian side. We have seen uh, many nights here where we see half a dozen gunshot wounds. We've had 12 gunshot wounds come in in one night in the past. That is something that has helped us to train for this. This was just an escalation of those events. Red tank out. Salah Gizeni with Voice of America. My question is, the, yesterday the hospital released a statement of the updates on the patient and says 44 victims were treated and nine died. Uh, you have mentioned that 44 were admitted. So can you clarify more on this statement? Because if you say that we know that the people that were wounded were 53, 
So if we add the 9 to the 44 that was admitted, that will make 53. So are we talking about this number or different numbers? And is the hospital by any chance expecting a visit from President Obama as he comes to Orlando on Thursday? Okay, so uh, as you all are aware, it's a very fluid situation. Um, numbers uh, are constantly changing. What, what I will tell you, the most accurate numbers that we can come up with were 44 victims were brought to Orlando Regional Medical Center. Nine of those victims died in the first few minutes that they were here. That left us with 35 victims that we have been caring for that have been in the hospital. And as I mentioned, as of this morning, 27 of those patients still remain in the hospital. Uh, we understand that there were 11 patients that were treated at other facilities in town that were not brought here. They were uh, obviously of lesser severity and I believe the majority of those were discharged home. Um, we were not involved uh, in their care. I think the final numbers uh, will need to come from the FBI as they complete their investigation. To answer your final question, uh, our understanding is that President Obama is considering coming to Orlando. You all would probably know better than we would. Um, we do not know what his plans are. We have a, uh, Dr. Luby has a uh, statement he wants yeah, to make. Just to add to a question earlier, we have a tremendous amount of support here. Um, you know, you talked about cardiothoracic surgeons. I had a patient with major abdominal injuries and at the same time had major exsanguinating vascular injuries to the right leg and to the left arm. And Dr. Patel was here and helping me. It, it obviously would be very difficult to deal with three major injuries at once, and we were literally operating on different body parts at the same time, and that was very helpful. Thank you. Zoe Daniel from Australian Broadcasting Corporation. Just to follow up on the question around gun control, it's obviously renewed Reporters continue asking questions of the medical team at Orlando Regional Medical Center, a packed house today of doctors, surgeons working in the trauma center the morning of the Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando. I think it's important to realize that the other night we took care of 45 patients with gunshot wounds, but it's not unusual for us to take care of four or five a night on a regular night. And you do the math, that adds up to 45 pretty quick. So it's a very serious problem that we have, and I don't know what the answer is. Down here in the baseball cap, uh, Jason Deere and Associated Press. Um, for the people who were um, intaking patients in that first wave, um, there have been mention of these flatbed trucks that were bringing people in. Can um, someone talk about who were driving those trucks? Were they first responders? Were they private citizens? Who, who were the people that were bringing in folks into <coughs> the ER? So, so, so I'm Dr. Hunter. I'm the uh, Associate Medical Director for Orange County EMS. Dr. Ross is the, is the medical director. Um, it was very fluid initially uh, on scene. We had EMS response very quickly. It was right next to one of our fire stations. Um, but oh, Orlando Police Department and um, some other citizens there were able to help extricate people who had gotten themselves out or dragged out a lot of people's friends, also helped them get out. Uh, at the time, the number of ambulances we had was not nearly as many as patients, so multiple patients were put in ambulances. Multiple patients were put into any other vehicle that, that we could get them here. That What they needed was to be at this trauma center as fast as possible. So we were doing our best to coordinate via the scene, uh, myself and, and Dr. Paris, to try to let them know people were coming. Uh, but obviously, it was not the way we typically would have done it. So there was a Yes. 
Yes, absolutely. And, and the Orlando Police Department, yes. Lady in the blue shirt right there. Doctors at Orlando Regional Medical Center talking about the night patients were coming in by the ambulance load, by the truck load, as their trauma center was overwhelmed in the hours after the shooting at the Pulse nightclub. 44 patients admitted there. I'm Scott Goldberg. You're listening to live coverage from ABC News. From the Joined in the studio here by my colleague, Mark Remillard. Mark, it's been a very powerful came, press conference. Yeah, absolutely. Doctors uh, describing just the intense amount of work that they um, had to do to go through and help save lives. Uh, surgeons there that describing that they were go. working and, and operating on I one patient, two different body parts the at the same time to help save some of these lives. And uh, just an immense amount well of work. And, and then... Each. A testament to that is the fact that, um, as they mentioned, Saturday, as they've updated the uh, the patient counts, night, no patient uh, has today. succumbed to their wounds since the original nine that came really in on Sunday. So very, uh, very intense amount of work for these doctors to go through. How do we deal we with continue it? to listen now um, to uh, doctors update their efforts uh, that they've had to do since uh, this began on Sunday morning. Yes. Probably about... 3.30 or 3.45, and then again at about 4.45 or 5. We've had a question regarding Angel's age. Do you want to give your age? Yeah, okay. um, I just turned 26. Uh, A-N-G-E-L-C-O-L-O-N. Lady right here in the red. Channel 4 in Jacksonville. Angel, who did you go with to the club, and did they make it out okay? Um, I went with about uh, three of my friends. And they all survived. Okay. Down here at the end, first lady in white and then second lady in white. Very quick question to the surgeons. I'm just doing the maths here. Over the course of your professional lifetimes, how many victims of gunshot wounds would you estimate that you had each treated? Hundreds. I, uh, you, probably all the fingers in this room wouldn't count it up. Um, we see almost 5,000. Uh, trauma victims a year. Um, we're the busiest level one trauma center in the state. Uh, and of those 5,000, Dr. Ibrahim, 30, what percent? About 20 percent are currently uh, due to um, what we would call penetrating trauma. About 1,000. Uh, I've been here 20 years. Uh, Yeah. We'd never thought about it, yeah. But that, that number sounds reasonable. Um, lady in white with a cap. Uh, cap. We heard that there was um, one of the officers was wounded with a gunshot to the head. Are there any of the officers here? We haven't had any updates on their injuries. Can you give us any information on that? Uh, I, can, I saw the officer that was injured. Um, uh, to my knowledge, one officer um, sustained a gunshot wound to the helmet um, in his forehead. Um, he was alert, awake, had a bruise, um, had a normal, um, basically, exam. And uh, his helmet, uh, the picture is floating around there on the Internet with a big dent in it. Um, and uh, he went home. Dr. Villar has a statement we'd like to make. What's that? Thanks. Lenny Bullard, one of the trauma surgeons. One of the things that's worth mentioning here, 
is that the police department, the fire department did a phenomenal job. Uh, we have learned from previous uh, disasters that hospitals very quickly get overwhelmed by the number of patients injured and they're not able to provide service or care to the ones that really need it. And uh, I think we all also want to make sure we thank the police department because I barely could get in the hospital myself and the outer perimeter was set very effectively by our law enforcement. So they did a phenomenal job and I don't want I want to make sure they're not forgotten. Uh, hold on, the, right on the floor with the blue shirt. Angel. Oh, hang on, hang on, Angel, Angel. My name is Angel. Brian O'Keefe from ABC. I think I think I speak for everyone in this room who who profoundly uh, see you. Thing. What is, what does it mean to have to have your family and and do you have anything to say to the gay and lesbian community? It, it means it means the world to me, having them around me. They're the ones who brighten up my day, who put a smile on my face. And I think that's one of the most important things in life is to have those people that brighten up your day that make everything positive. Because going through something like this, that that's honestly is the best thing to have around you. Doctors at Orlando Regional Medical Center updating the uh, the efforts to save lives following the the massacre in Orlando over the weekend. Uh, that was Angel Cologne, who's a uh, survivor of the attack. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network, from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.